We are digging into the truth of the gospel in these few weeks as we're looking at the doctrine or the truth of the gospel, which is so foundational for how we live our lives and, and how we ourselves understand our place is with Christ because of the good news of what Jesus has done for us. And so we're looking in for a few weeks at the, the truth or the doctrine of the gospel in order to establish, which we will talk about after Advent, a gospel culture. Uh, a culture in which the gospel has not only taken root in our lives, but is operating through our lives to cause a result of the gospel that is powerful and witnessing to his glory. So we'll be looking at that for these several weeks. Uh, this morning, I'm just going to be right up front and tell you the three things I'm going to share. So some of these old preaching things tell us that you should always tell them what you're going to say, then say it, and then tell them what you said. So I'm going to follow that uh, guide today. I want to tell you what I'm going to say, and then by God's grace, I'm going to say it, and I'll probably repeat myself a few times. So I'll tell you what I said. This morning, I want you to see three aspects, three aspects of the biblical gospel. First, that it is a direct, straightforward message of good news that Jesus came to save sinners. Someone should have said amen on that one. First, that it is a straightforward message. We need another chance. A straightforward message of good news that Jesus came to save sinners. Amen. Oh, that's much better. Thank you. Appreciate that, Eliana. Thank you. Two, that while the gospel is, yes, indeed, direct and straightforward, it is also very complex. That's point number two. And finally, the third point is that while there seems to be many constructs of the gospel, both in the Bible and being shared around the globe even today, there is in fact only one gospel being shared in various forms. Okay? So I just told you what I'm going to say. Let's, let's look at it. When I was growing up, and many of you as well, um, we used to use gospel tracks to explain the gospel. Something like this. You've seen that one before, haven't you? Who's seen that before? Who here has had one of those before? Yeah, he's got one right now. I knew Jay might have one. The Four Spiritual Laws. It's written by Bill Bright, who was the founder and director of Campus Crusade for Christ, more commonly called Crew now. They've modernized their name. And Bill Bright, actually Jamie has met him, uh, Bill Bright, and had a wonderful conversation. If you've never heard that one, that, you ought to ask him about it. But Bill wrote this track, and it was something that I used a lot in my campus ministry when I was in college and when my friend and I used to do street ministry in downtown Mobile. And these are the four spiritual laws. First, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Two, man is sinful and separated from God. Therefore, he cannot know and experience God's love and plan for his life. Three, Jesus Christ is God's only provision for man's sin. And through him, you can know and experience God's love and plan for your life. Do you, you sense a repetitive theme here? God has a plan for your life. Did you notice that? Four, we must individually receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, and then we can know and experience 
God's love, and plan for our lives. Now, that's a powerful representation of the gospel, and I am in no way disrespecting that. It has actually been used by many to bring many into the kingdom of God. It may have been used to bring you into the kingdom. And those tracks were like uh, our version of TikTok back in the 70s. They, they gave in visual form with these nice little cartoon figures or stick figures and all these diagrams and these very basic truths about the gospel. And it was, it was simple. It was straightforward. It was direct. And I like simple explanations of the gospel. They help me. They, they streamline the message. And for someone that can be scattered and ethereal at times, it's helpful to have just some bullet points that you can go to. They make it easier to share the gospel with others. Uh, maybe the simplest explanation I've ever heard is actually used by J.I. Packer to describe the gospel. And he puts it down into three words. God saves sinners. I love that. At, at the heart of the gospel, God saves sinners. The Apostle Paul gave these kinds of clear gospel summaries throughout his ministry when he would routinely put the gospel in a nutshell by just using a sentence or two, maybe three, to explain and to present the gospel. He did it in numerous ones of his writings, like the verses that we read last week that I want to repeat out of Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel... For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Wrapped up in those two verses, those two sentences, is the essence of the gospel. You have justification by faith. That righteousness only comes by believing him. We can't do it on our own. You have the power, the dunamis, that actually converts and changes somebody, blasts them out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You have salvation for everyone who believes. That it's not alienated to just one group of people, Jew or Greek. It's for both of them. That is a great summary, simplified message of the gospel. Paul also made it even more straightforward to the church in Corinth when he wrote this in 1 Corinthians 2.1. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, which is good news for every pastor around, except for those who like to have lofty speech and wisdom. It's good news for me, though, especially in the dangerous state that I am today. Verse 2, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Wow. Paul didn't try to dazzle them with brilliance or wow them with his wisdom. He just simply preached the gospel and he summarized it by knowing nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. At the core, that's the gospel. So that's the first thing I want you to remember is that when you're looking at the biblical gospel, 
It is not convoluted. It is not elusive. It is not beyond our grasp. It is there in very simple words, straight to the point. And while it certainly takes the Holy Spirit to enlighten our hearts towards understanding, at its core, the gospel is good news that Jesus came to save sinners. As Paul would say, of which I am chief. Point number two, while we certainly need to understand that the gospel can be simple, straightforward, and direct, that we need to be able to articulate it in language that could open up someone's heart by just a single thought or word or phrase or paragraph. We also need to understand and admit that the gospel has a depth that cannot be fully plumbed. It is so much bigger than we will ever comprehend or understand. Uh, someone said that the gospel is a pool in which a toddler can wade, and yet it is deep enough that an elephant can swim. I didn't use elephant because Alabama won last night, but it, it makes a good point. It is so available to even a child that they could wade and play in the waters at its bank, and yet the depth of it is so deep that you could not measure it. Tim Keller calls it the irreducible complexity of the gospel. That you cannot tame it into a simple formula where you ask everyone to recite every time in every place and that's all that it takes. You see, the four spiritual laws have worked for many people in bringing them into the kingdom. But it didn't work for everyone that's in the kingdom. And there are context, contextualizations of the gospel put into a language or diagram that people can understand better than others. And so while it can be put into a simple phrase, it's not limited to a simple phrase. It cannot be tamed where you force people into a formula. Repeat this after me. I don't like that anymore. I used to do it. Repeat this prayer after me. Wow, that sounds like a formula. I want God to bust their heart wide open. And then what they share is authentic. And they're beginning to have a revelation of Jesus, not because I simplified it for them, but because the Holy Spirit has opened them up to him. That's what we need to see happening. It helps me understand that Paul could at one moment drill down the gospel to a very simple phrase like Jesus Christ and him crucified, which is so great. But then in other moments, he could really expand on the majesty and depth and vastness of this gospel, the irreducible complexity of the gospel. Like when he said to the Ephesians in Ephesians 2, 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God... 
the two most powerful words in the Bible. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. And raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Yes, the gospel is a direct, straightforward message of God saving sinners. But it is also richly complex, full of immeasurable riches and marvelous realities, quite profound and never fully understood by humans. Even Peter said that the angels above peered at the gospel of God with amazement. How rich, how vast, how immeasurable this good news. We have to realize that both of these things are true at the same time. You know, two things that seem to be counter to each other can actually be truth at the same time. And many of the truths that God presents to us has got this tension between what seems to be contradictive or contradictory, but they actually work in harmony and show the aspect of God's bigness and his wisdom above all human wisdom. And so both of these things are true. When we understand that it is a simple, direct message that God saves sinners and that it, is, that it is irreducibly complex, so big that we can't fully grasp, when we begin to understand those two things, it leads us into the third thing. And that is that while the gospel is often communicated in various forms, it is still only one gospel. One gospel. Paul, Paul said, we talked about it last week, uh, there is no other gospel. He, he said to the Galatians, I, I'm so astonished, I'm astounded that you are falling for a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. So Paul is speaking to the fact that there is only one gospel. Now, it can be, and it is oftentimes, communicated in a variety of forms and constructs. But if it is the true gospel, it is only the one gospel. And I think this is an important aspect because there are those in the church, the broader church, that don't believe this. There are those that if you went and Googled right now and you talked about the kingdom of God, uh, the, kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, and the gospel of salvation, that they would start saying to you, there is clearly in the Bible two gospels. And there are those that call themselves Christians that, and I, I'm not denying their, their faith, I'm just saying I don't see it that way and I don't believe the Bible consistently teaches that way. You see, when they try to reconcile what they see as a contradiction, then they have to 
they have to try to explain it away. <laughs> That's always a form of legalism you have to be careful of. If someone feels like they have to explain away the mystery of the gospel, ugh, danger, danger, red flag, red flag. You might want to be careful about that. When people look at particularly the fact that what Paul preached is Jesus and him crucified, it is a gospel of Christ and him crucified, they have a problem with seeing that it correlates or connects with what Jesus revealed and announced in that the gospel of kingdom is at hand. And they don't see that those two can be connected. And I say they are. They're not different gospels. They are the same. They're articulated in different forms, but they're the same. And here's why I believe that, and I want to be as clear and try not to be as into the weeds as I can. I don't want to go there. But I want you to understand it because it's important that we know what the gospel is. It's understand, and we need to understand what the gospel is. We need to be able to articulate the gospel. We need to understand that how we stand before God is because of what he has done for us. So I feel that the reason that these two are the same gospel in different constructs are for a couple reasons. First, the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus preached when he started and inaugurated his ministry, it culminated in his death, burial, and resurrection. All right? Jesus came and he announced, you can see it in Matthew 4, you can see it in Mark 1, where he talks about the, uh, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he goes about all over the land preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease. And he just does some amazing things. Well, how does that end? It starts that way and it ends at Calvary with him hanging on a cross and dying for our sins. And then three days later, rising from the dead. Now, that is the kingdom, uh, the gospel of the kingdom message. And yet it's also the message of God saving us, Christ and him crucified. Secondly, both of these uh, understandings of the gospel, they both assault the kingdom of darkness. They both go after the devil and all that he has had dominion over. We see it through Jesus' own ministry. He goes about, he mounts, makes this announcement, and he goes about healing every person and declaring goodness and declaring how to live in his kingdom, and, and attacking the, the areas of darkness, destroying the works of the devil. But Paul's writing also portrays the very same kind of assault on the kingdom of darkness. Not only Jesus, who assaulted the kingdom of darkness, but what Paul is saying is that the very gospel he is preaching of salvation through Christ and him crucified also assaults the kingdom of darkness. Let me show you. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them in open shame by triumphing over them in him. That's kingdom language. And Hebrews 2, 14, the second portion, the Hebrews writer, who could have been Paul, we don't know for certain, but the Hebrews writer says it this way, that through death... Jesus might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That's kingdom language. 
And yet it is written in the epistles that are often stood up as simply the gospel of Christ and him crucified. And then Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19 says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of, this, of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. That, my friends, is kingdom language. The gospel of the kingdom that Jesus preached and the gospel of Christ crucified that Paul preached are the same gospel. They're the same. There's all sorts of salvation language in what Jesus is doing and saying. And there's all sorts of kingdom language in what Paul is preaching and proclaiming. And it's why the great theologian N.T. Wright would say, I am inclined to see the theme of Christus Victor, the victory of Jesus Christ over all the powers of evil and darkness as the central theme in atonement theology around which all the other varied meanings of the cross find their particular niche. There's one more vital connection that I want to show you about Paul's writings that show that while he is pronouncing a gospel of Christ and him crucified, he is also understanding the gospel of the kingdom. And it's found in 1 Corinthians 15. I told you we're going to do a lot of verses, but this is the last one. 1 Corinthians 15, 1. Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures. Now, at first glance and reading of that, it seems so like what Paul normally says, the gospel of Christ and him crucified. The atonement work, the atoning work, the salvation, what the spiritual laws, those four things talked about, that God loves you and has a plan for your life, and he sent Jesus to be the answer for the fact that you messed up and that we've all messed up. And that is true, that he is talking about Christ and him crucified very well. But what a lot of people don't understand is that the word Christ is not Jesus' last name. A lot of people think that. You know, Chris Hyatt, Jesus Christ. That that's just his last name. And that's not true. Christ is a title. It is... It is a title of who Jesus is, not his surname. In fact, Christ means Messiah, which is another word for chosen one, appointed one. And my friends, that is kingdom language. Messiah was promised throughout the Old Testament when the promises of a king that would come and reign and rule over his people would be there. When they said Christ, they were talking kingdom. And when Paul is talking Christ, 
He's talking kingdom. Paul says the gospel is about the Messiah, the anointed chosen one who died for our sins and was raised on the third day. And how? In accordance with the scriptures, which connects it all the way back to all the Old Testament prophecies that are pointing to Jesus when he shows up. It is all interconnected. It is not a different gospel. It is integrated into the gospel of the kingdom where Jesus is crucified, buried, and raised again for us. So right there in Paul's summary of this gospel of our salvation is the richness of the fullness of God's kingdom. So there you have it. Three things I want you to know about a biblical gospel. It's important. It's not as inspirational and, and kind of give you goosebumps. I don't know, maybe you got goosebumps. But it's important to have those foundations laid in our hearts, in our understanding. The kingdom is what God has entered us into. I was talking to Jamie about this. And he said, you know, the thing I always try to allude to people is that it is that the gospel coming to the Lord is not just us being saved from our sins. But it's like we are being invited to his table. Think of like King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. It's wonderful if a village person gets saved by the king. And they're, they're so happy that they have been rescued and that they are no longer under assault. But it's a whole other thing when you're invited to sit at the king's table. Like Mephibosheth, we are all invited to come and sit with the king. Paul said, not only is he seated in heaven at the right hand of God, what does he say? We are seated with him in heavenly places. And that's not just a future event. That is something that is actually happening now. We are seated with him. And so the kingdom of God is the invitation into something so much bigger than a rescue plan. And I'm glad we're rescued and I'm glad we're saved. But I'm so much more glad that we're now a part of the kingdom that is advancing into this world, proclaiming the good news to others that are a part of this kingdom of darkness, that they too can come sit at the king's table. The biblical gospel, we need to understand that it is a straightforward message of the good news that God saves sinners. We also need to understand that it is irreducibly complex. It is far bigger than we'll ever grasp or understand. Shouldn't keep us from trying, but it is big. We could, we could explore it for a whole lifetime. Angels are still peering upon it in just in awe and amazement that God would do that. And that's how we should look at it too, for it is tremendously rich and immeasurable and complex. But finally, why there are so many constructs of the gospel and how you may share it with a neighbor and how it may be contextualized in a foreign country like where I'm about to go in Kenya next month where that kind of understanding of the gospel may need to be shifted for them to really get a hold of its power. Whether we see different constructs or not and we will see them, they should all be understood as the same gospel. May the truth of the gospel that we are saved by grace through faith into an eternal kingdom where we no longer are outcasts, but we sit at the king's table. 
May it ground us for what we will face in this day and age. And may it make us his witnesses and representatives. Motivate us to share the good news with all those we meet. Amen. Donna's going to come. She's my wife. She's not a dude. <laughs> thankfully. And she's going to just share what God has put on her heart. And then we're going to pray for you. <laughs> Thank you. She said I did good. He was worried. I've been really impacted by Chris's, oops, sorry. I've been impacted by Chris's preparation of this message because I don't think I've ever thought about the two Gospels. I've used, I use the word Gospel, and I mean all of those things, but I didn't realize that they, although they are a single story, they are two concepts. So anyway, I've been doing some reading along with him this week. Um, and one of the things that I've seen is that the personal salvation story is pointless without the kingdom. That's what we are saved into. Being saved from something is not nearly as important as being saved to something. That's right. That's right. Um, That's good. He says, uh, this is from a, a, something from Col uh, Chuck Colson's blog. But he says, the gospel transcends one's personal salvation to include the whole of God's redemptive mission in the world, in which he is making all things new through Christ. It is the advent of God's healing reign over the whole world. Yeah, that's great. Praise God. When we are saved, that is what we are saved into. Yeah. And that is what changes how we live. If we understand that the gospel of the kingdom is the same gospel as the gospel of salvation, then it becomes our purpose. We don't want to just invite Jesus into our life. We want to acknowledge that he is inviting us into his life, his purpose, right. his kingdom. And that that call that allows us to repent of our sins and join something bigger than ourselves, that is the reign of God, yeah. and that is the full gospel. Yeah. I've been just so exercised by this to, to realize that I think even my view of the mission of God in my own life is being enlarged by this study of the gospel. Yeah, so I'm great. grateful for that. I'm going to pray for you, um, and if you would just join us, we'll ask the Lord to help us now. God, thank you that you continue to speak truth. That you've settled it in the heavens, but you, you break off bits and pieces of it as we grow and mature and can hear what you are saying. You've given us the spirit to guide us into your truth all along the way. And we're grateful for these words about the power of the gospel right now. They're coming in your perfect time, and therefore they are relevant. <laughs> they are useful, and we need them. So, Father, I ask that you would crack open our hearts to remember again the power of the gospel, 
that you haven't just saved us from the worst version of ourselves. You're not a self-help program. You've done more than create hearts from stone to, to flesh that you can write on. You've called us into something that is always increasing. Your actual kingdom. And what we do isn't just a result of our own personal salvation, but it's in response to the king. Thank you, God, for bringing clarity, for defining the purpose more clearly, for lifting our vision so that we don't get stuck, stuck in the daily whatever. You're big. What you're doing is big. And you can be big in us if we will bow our knee. Yes. If we won't limit the gospel to our own personal success story. God, thank you for being our king. Yes. Thank you for sending Jesus the way. For his role as Christ in our hearts. May we receive all that the gospel has for us and may we extend the kingdom how wonderful it is O oh lord to be rescued out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light when we read about paul's description of what darkness was like for us and where we used to be enslaved Maybe some of us are sitting here today still enslaved, ensnared, having not walked out of the, the bondage that is there and received the free gift of God. But Lord, when we realize the, mag, the, the magnificence of your glory and grace, when we realize the power that you brought us out of that place and into a place of new life, we're so grateful to you. Yes, God. But as much as we're grateful for the rescue plan, we're grateful for the placement that you've, you've put us with you. You've seated us in heavenly places. We're sitting at the king's table today, not just rescued from our own despair and sin, but actually made sons and daughters of the most high God, heirs to the father, joint heirs with the son. Lord, help us live in that place with a full understanding of your kingdom in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.